This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, August 15th, 2019. That's Adam Hall. I'm Nico. We're your hosts. Yep. By the way, <sighs> did not realize. What? This episode's getting released on my birthday. When's your birthday? Date that I just said, August 15th. Oh, I missed that. Today. I wasn't paying attention. So, uh, yeah. This cool. Is, this is my birth. So keep that in mind as you... <laughs> Carry on with this podcast, Adam Hall. What? That this is your birthday podcast? Is yeah. That... Just keep that in mind. Oh. Just well, be gentle. Be nice. I'm don't not... make any stupid decisions. <laughs> just know that. Like, I don't need a present from you. I just need... Well, I think I'm already off to a bad start. I made you watch Hunger. Oh. <laughs> but, yes. And by the way, you will be working the rest of this podcast to redeem yourself. <laughs> we'll talk about everything in a bit. Um... How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm just fine and dandy here. Okay. <laughs> How are you? Not doing well. <laughs> what What are you ever doing well? Can we have a day where, or is it all my fault? I feel like a lot of the time, like a lot of the things that attribute your, your horrible, shitty, vile mood on this podcast day in and day out. Maybe it is my fault. Maybe it is partially. Anytime I'm in a room with you, I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Yeah. It's a toxic relationship. It is. What, what, I mean, see, see, I love it, but you're just like putting up with it at this point. You can't really get out of it. It's it's re- look, dude. Like this is what makes me terrified of marriage. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's bad enough to host a podcast with someone. Yeah, it and, is. And be stuck in that. Like, imagine having a contractual obligation yep. to see them every day yeah. and to split half your shit with them. It's pretty shitty. Yeah. Ah! For you, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I could, I, I don't have an issue with the idea of marriage, but you, on the other hand. No, I mean, you've actually talked me out of marriage. <laughs> Congratulations, Adam. This podcast has discouraged me. From well, from vowing to wed someone. That's too bad. I want to. I really wanted to meet Nico Di Gregorio's wife, one day. Who who <laughs> that would be? Oh my god! One day. I think everyone wants to. <laughs> there, there's time. Hopefully. Yes. Um. Anyway, we're talking about movies from 2008. Yes. I should explain. Let's give a little context. If you weren't listening to last week's episode. Which, why weren't you? Because it was a great one. Excellent episode last week, I thought. Excellent episode. Yeah. Um, To peel back the curtain, we are recording this a mere two days after the recording of that episode. Mm -hmm. And that was one where I had to cram a lot of films, a lot of long films, I should add, in a very short period of time because Adam insisted on doing an old movie year, 1954. So I sat through... Two Japanese films, one of them three and a half hours in length, a Star is Born movie, and a mediocre Hitchcock film for the sake of this podcast. And I was exhausted. You saw it in, in you saw it in me, Adam Hall. There were bags under my eyes. You were like you were like Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, in Marathon yeah, Man. That's basically. That's exactly right. Basically. And you and I thought it'd be a good idea. Let's do a recent movie year. Let's not overthink this. Nominate a bunch of movies that we had seen before, and we could come on and chat about them in a congenial manner. And then you fucking pull this shit on me. If this was this not the worst thing I've ever done? Come on. Why man. are we doing this? What do you mean, why are we doing this? Why do you insist on making this a blood feud? It's not a blood feud. I See, here's the thing is that, I don't know, you got to look at it from the perspective of my common sense. Because there is none. 
Like I have little to no comments. <laughs> that is the biggest oxymoron I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? You got to see it from my common sense. I'm serious. Like, because if you look at it from that perspective, it's like, of course I would do something this stupid. So, you know. I just think you're out to torture me. That's what I'm convinced no. <laughs> of. And here's the problem. You are such a psycho <laughs> that I cannot retaliate in an equitable fashion. You know what I mean? What are you talking about? You can't There's reta- no proportional response to this. There's plenty. Of, you, could, you could make me watch the emoji movie. Okay, no, but you have... <laughs> Perhaps, but you have such a high tolerance for disturbing shit, yeah, and gore and violence and and uh, and indulgence. You have such a high tolerance for that shit mm-hmm. that I can't come back at you with my own version of Godzilla, mm. my own version of Seven Samurai, my own version of Ron, or in this case, my own version of Hunger. True. I Can we just it. jump into this right now? Let's. You, I, you I must start with Hunger. Oh God! I want to do this right now. Yes, oh, I want to get this off my chest. Dear God, let's talk about hunger, and then we'll do all the other formalities about uh, 2008. Um, you made me watch this movie, Hunger. Yes, this week <laughs> from 2008. By the way, we're doing the year 2008. Here are your nominees: Doubt, Wally, In Bruges, The Wrestler, The Dark Knight, and this movie, Hunger. Why'd you make me watch this shit? What do you mean, why? What are you doing to me? Because <laughs> it's one of the best films of that year. What are you doing? I, I was looking at the list of nominees, and I'm like, oh, wait a second. Hunger's on this list. Of course I have to nominate it, because it's an amazing film. It's not an enjoyable film. <laughs> I didn't, I, I'm sorry I didn't mention that to you. I'm sorry I threw another <laughs> Midsummer your way. But... <laughs> It's one of the best films of that year. It'd be the same way where it's like if we were doing 2019, I would have nominated Midsummer. You know, it's just it's just the way it is. I recall things differently. <sighs> I recall you looking at your iPhone and pondering Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Tropic Thunder. I didn't. I didn't. Hey, 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 no, I did not ponder Tropic Thunder as much as I love that movie. Okay, first of all, Tropic Thunder should be here, but that's eh, neither here nor there. Okay, yeah, Tropic Thunder should maybe ahead be. of Wally. Wow, hot take. Yeah. Um, I recall you looking at your phone, pondering a few movies, yeah. and saying, eh, I think it'd be fun if I made Nico watch Hunger. <laughs> that's how I remember things. And I'm pretty sure that's on tape. Yeah, whatever. I can pull up the archives on this. So I don't that. buy it. No. No, I genuinely wanted to nominate this thing. It's funny to say, oh my God, it'd be nice to let Nico watch this, but I would still feel pretty bad if I didn't nominate it. This is a movie that should be talked about. To, to a certain degree you know we we i i love curious case of benjamin button i know you don't but it's like you know i, I i'm i'm fine with where i am with that movie i don't need to discuss it any further this one i've wanted to talk about ever since i saw it written and directed by steve mcqueen starring michael fassbender Stuart graham and liam mchammon irish republican bobby sands leads the inmates of a northern irish prison in a hunger strike mm-hmm. this is based on true events Something called the Troubles in Ireland. Are you familiar with the history of the Troubles? Absolutely. I know you've been to Ireland. Yes, I have. This is a real blind spot in my historical knowledge. So why don't you explain what this was all about? The Troubles is 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 like a 
I guess you could call it like a mini revolution against like almost like Catholic persecution to my understanding. Cause there was like a, like a surgence of like Protestantism that was kind of taking over. And then the IRA comes around and they're like, no, we don't want to conform to that. We like, you know, this way of living. And if, you know, any, any form of government or authorities tells us otherwise, we're going to lash out and do horrible things like bomb cafes and shit like that. Right. Or, or if you lock us up for it, we're just going to go on hunger strikes until you, you know, let us out or you tell us, hey, it's okay. Right. And the problem is that they didn't exactly break. And sure. a lot of people died because of this. And it was a horrible, horrible, kind of stupid ordeal. Yeah. And, um, yeah, lots of killing, lots of m- mob formations, uh, an, an interesting examination on kind of convictions and... I mean, what your belief or how much your beliefs actually mean to you. Right. And like, is it all really worth it? It's actually a very interesting story. So. Uh, so, yeah, it is. So this is where the Bloody Sunday Massacre yeah. comes from. Right. Mm-hmm. That was a part of the troubles. And I think it lasted from my brief Wikipedia research on this last night lasted from like the 60s to the late 90s. It's it, I mean, there are some people who argue that there, there are still traces of that still going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like. Jesus Christ, really? <laughs> right. Well, I guess this stuff is is deep seated. Yep. Yeah. Um I also guess that it it it's regarding the actual classification of Ireland itself. Yes, that's also true. Right? Yeah. I think like the Republicans or the revolutionaries, uh mm-hmm. the, they were called the Republicans, obviously has nothing to do with our Republican Party, believed that Northern Ireland should be a part of the Ireland mainland. Mm-hmm. And Margaret Thatcher and the UK did not want that to happen. And so the other party, whose name I'm blanking on, believed in a divided Ireland. So that was a lot of it. And that sort of confused me. Again, I don't know the ideology behind this movement. Um, sounds to me like a lot of irrational violence and borderline domestic terrorism. Well, But again, I don't know. I mean, it definitely is. <laughs> it, I mean, I kind of get it. I mean, if you look at Northern Ireland and Ireland on a map, it's like, oh, they're literally the same island. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I get it. But uh, I don't... I don't it would know. be like if Brexit suddenly devolved into violence. Yes. You know, and Boris Johnson was ordering shootings of people. Yes. You know, that, that, and that just doesn't make sense to me. Again, I don't know a lot of the underlying ideology. I'd like to read more into it. I know a little bit about it. I know Zach actually knows a, a decent, a decent bit. Okay. So, so that's the backstory. Um, you would not really know that this was based on a true story. If not for the little, uh, pieces of text at the beginning and yeah. end, giving you the exposition, mm-hmm. because this is a, painfully intimate um personal disturbing character study of a film that's basically all it is yeah and so the whole historical context this movie could have been made with a bigger budget with bigger stars uh a more vast scope um a more uh earnest sensibility Mm -hmm. if you will it could have been made that way like a lot of historical dramas are but this is just a straight prison film but like the most prison prison film i've ever seen oh god i just realized oh man something that i know you would have hated about this one was food oh don't get me started don't get me started oh boy yeah all right okay that makes sense i'm sorry well (laughs) that and the feces that were smothered on the walls honestly not as bad as the food for me 
I think I agree with you. <laughs> Not as bad as the food at all. Because I've seen that before. People are like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to spear my feces on my face or whatever. It's like, no. I've never seen that before. I don't know about you. What? You've the- seen that? Yeah. Poop on people's faces. Yeah. Hey, you've seen the Gigi Allen story. Okay. Well, <laughs> fair point. And that's real, damn it. You saw someone take a hot dog, shove it in his ass, and then shit it out into someone's mouth. Yeah. Fair point. Um... This is one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. This is really bad. Yeah, it is. This is tough, man. I came out. I saw this in college, junior year, and I came out. Out. I just walked out like I was like like broken in half. And I look at my roommate, and I'm just like, I just saw the most upsetting film of my entire life. It's so upsetting. And yeah, maybe the most disturbing. One of the most disturbing. It's so upset. I watched this 1.30 a.m. last night. <laughs> you gotta stop doing this to yourself, man. It's your fault! Don't start with me! Nico, you gotta... You, Do not start with me! Nico, you gotta stop doing this to yourself. Do not <laughs> go with the victim blaming here. Nico, I'm, I don't buy it. Nico, it's gonna be okay. You made me watch this movie, it's and fine. I had to watch Piranha this morning! It's fine, Nico. I'm just saying you gotta go easy on yourself, okay, man? <laughs> the irony was not lost on me that I was watching this thing with a massive bag of Utz potato chips on my stomach. Should point that out as well. Was snacking throughout. Oh my god, I would not have been able to stop eating. <laughs> this movie like made me think about crumbs in a different way. Yes. There's a oh shot at the beginning of this god, movie. I can't believe you just said that cuz Fuck yeah! There's you're... a there's a prison guard who's, who's having his breakfast in the opening scene of this movie, and there's an uber close up mm-hmm. on the guy's lap and the bib that he's wearing, mm-hmm. and like the crumbs as he's eating falls onto his lap, yep. and he brushes them off. And I thought to myself, "Holy shit, crumbs are wasted food." It like blew my mind. Yeah, it's like we just brush off crumbs. I know, as if they're a nuisance, but it's food. It's wasted food. Well, when you put it next to these people that look worse than Holocaust victims. I mean, my God. Jesus, when we get to the end of the film and Bobby Sands is just like he's taken out of his cell and he's put into his bed and just like you see the effects of what uh, severe starvation would do, will do to a person. You see the scars on his body. Where it's like the skin is peeling off because uh, it's too brittle. They're taking the ointment and they, they're putting it on his wounds and stuff. His bones are sort of popping out because his, you know, his elbow joint. I want to know how they did that because I don't know. I mean, he was, there's no way. I mean, do you think Michael Fassbender actually like, like starred himself a bit? Yeah. Well, I think, yes. I read that in my research. He he did go on one of those crash diets. Yeah. Okay. Which is like what Christian Bale did. He okay. ate like nothing but crackers and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sardines. Okay. For like six months i mean obviously he wasn't so unhealthy where that he was scarring up no 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 but yeah i mean a lot of it was makeup but most of that was him for real they didn't use like cgi or anything Mm -hmm. yeah he was really that skinny for sure my god there's nothing more just like like it's so frustrating this is a frustrating movie that's a great way to describe it for me because i'm just like like the scenes where they're giving him food and he's not even looking at it right just like and every day they bring the new plate and he just doesn't touch it i'm like you fucker and by the way they don't force feed him (laughs) no at a certain point i would like force feed the guy well they don't care about him is the thing yeah but the doctors do there's one doctor in particular that has a special connection with with michael fassbender and he feels sympathetic maybe i just like stick a tube down his throat what's he gonna do 
blink at me? I mean, he can't move the guy. I don't know. Just force feed him. Yeah. Anyway, nine people died in this strike, including, spoiler alert, Michael Fassbender's character, Bobby Sands. Um, again, I think I was missing a lot of historical context. Um, they played like clips of Margaret Thatcher throughout mm-hmm. a- in which she described the revolutionaries as domestic terrorists. And again, I don't know like where I would stand on it if if I read up more. Um, seems to me, yeah, like some really stupid shit. I don't know. Like it wasn't totally worth it. I just don't buy the idea of suicide as a heroic act, I guess. And that's what this felt like to me. I mean, there's a 17-minute scene. Seven. I actually recorded that, where I found this online. 17 oh, minutes, 10 seconds, continuous shot. One shot. One shot. Doesn't even move. Cameron does not move, in which the Catholic priest, Father Dominic Moran, tries to talk Bobby Sands out of the hunger strike, and he and his fellow 75 IRA members plan to start. Um, Michael Fassbender is just monologuing about the, the morality of this and why it's important that he carries out this strike. By the way, the priest is played by the Onion Knight from Game of Thrones, Liam Cunningham, mm. Sir Davos. Apparently, they rehearse this thing over 15 times a day. <sighs> Fassbender and Cunningham moved in, or I guess, yeah, Cunningham moved into Michael Fassbender's apartment, and they rehearsed the scene 12 to 15 times a day. On the first day of filming, the actors got it perfect after four takes. Pretty impressive. This whole movie's like that, though. It's like, wow. I mean, it's just exhausting and it just beats you into the ground but it's just so fucking well made yes i mean the disturb like i you want to like a like an examination and just the disturbing little things where you're not ripping people in half or like pulling out their tongues or some shit like that right that's exploitative just have a janitor wiping up piss oh my oh god (laughs) that fucking shot never ends how about like the panning shot of the shit and then you pan down to the guy sitting on the ground and there's that, that pile of food that looks like vomit, but it's not quite vomit. No. <sighs> and they're like literally using it as molds to pee in, into the hallway. Oh, it's so disgusting. This, this movie is absolutely foul. Or when like they're searching their cavities. Oh god. That scene where they're just beating up the prisoners and looking into their canals and things like that. And it doesn't Why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to me? This movie felt like a prison sentence. I agree with you, it's masterfully it made. A- it's a, no, I mean Steve McQueen is a is a master. He's one <laughs> of the best living directors, bar none. <laughs> and you know how much I love widows. But <laughs> why? Why would you make me do this? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend this movie to anyone. It's hard. No, yeah. I, I, I can't recommend this to anyone. I don't think I would do it either. I don't know a single person I could tell to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, other than like to the film snobs. Yes, you know? that's it. But this is up there with one of the most upsetting and disturbing films I think I've ever seen. No question. And it just, it never ends. Even when they get outside of the prison, when that guard gets shot in the head. Oh, yeah. And he falls in his mother's lap. Oh, and the mother doesn't react. She Because she can't react. It's so random too. It's just like, wait, what, what? Right. You know, and then you think this is based on history. This is stuff that actually happened, and nine people died in this strike, and there were prison guards that were killed by revolutionaries outside the prison. Mm -hmm. This movie, as we said on the last podcast about Godzilla, this movie is affecting. I mean, more so, (laughs) but can you blame it? I guess if you're going to make a movie like this, this is how you make it. 
Yeah. It, God, it, it, I'm never going to watch this again. Oh, God, no. This movie doesn't pull punches. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those movies. Um, totally respect it. We'll never revisit. And we have another Steve McQueen movie coming in 2011 that's maybe worse. You're going to nominate Shame? Well, Shame is just like absolutely one of my favorite films. Shame's a better movie than Hunger? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, you could... I mean, I don't... In a way, it's more disturbing. I mean, you, you'll you'll see. Okay. It's just <sighs> movies. That's I hear a- there's a lot of Fassbender dick in that movie. Yeah, of course there is. Okay. He's a sex addict, dude. I know. Yeah. Is it Maggie Gyllenhaal in that, too? Or no, who's the woman? No, uh, f- f- she was in Carrie dry- Mulligan. Ju- yeah, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I get them uh, mixed up. All right, uh, let's let's actually talk about the year now, shall we? Yes. Okay. We got one out of the way. <laughs> Highest grossing movie of 2008. What do you think it is? Uh, Dark Knight. Yeah. Duh. Uh, followed by Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> Did not realize that movie made so much money. Wow. It's Indiana Jones, man. I'm stunned. I remember that being kind of a flop, but I guess that was no. only critically. <laughs> I was going to say, no, you're just talking about the way the critics I know. responded to it. Word did not get back to audiences in 2008, huh? Well, it's funny because I don't think critics like hated the film. Audiences hated the film, though. Right. That was the thing. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Kung Fu Panda at three. This one shocked me, too. Hancock at four. Which is weird. Why haven't we had a Hancock, too? It made so much money. Uh, I mean, maybe people didn't like the movie. I mean, I don't like the movie. I'm not a huge fan of it either. So. But again, fourth highest grossing movie of the year. It's a superhero movie. How did that not get rebooted? That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then Mamma Mia at five. Okay. We're going to talk about the Oscars in a bit because we have a new idea for that. Yes, we do. Um, honorable mentions. I have a bunch. Uh, Cloverfield came out that year. Mm-hmm. Kind of wish we had an opportunity to talk about Cloverfield because I think it's a really interesting movie. Yes, I agree. And was weirdly influential for the time. Yeah, which is um, uh, actually uh, very influential. Yeah. N- not just so much the way you, you would wait, make a movie, but definitely the way you would market a movie. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I think the most influential of those types of movies in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Trailer dropped out of nowhere. It was made in secret. No one really knew what it was. People thought it was a monster movie, but not really. It was uh, an interesting experiment. And it was also J.J. Abrams. And I think created the bad robot J.J. Abrams thing that we now understand. Yes. Um, Funny Games. Another one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen. Well, at at first. (laughs) What do you mean at first? Well, my my interpretation of Funny Games is that it's is that it's unbelievably disturbing for for like the first viewing and then i saw it again and it's still very disturbing for the first like half and then it just becomes so relentless that i start to enjoy it okay it's like okay this is so ridiculous that i I almost can't take it seriously especially when he rewinds the thing i'm like okay i think i know what this is (laughs) well that's you uh a lot of comedies we didn't put on and i feel bad about it forgetting sarah marshall could have easily made the Mm, list okay uh you don't like stepbrothers either wow so strange Pineapple Express? I like Pineapple Express. Okay. Um, obviously, uh, Tropic Thunder. Yes, that's the big one for me that I was like, eh. I mentioned that already. Could have been on. By the way, Get Smart came out that year with Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway. I don't mind it. That's a solid comedy. Yeah. Don't sleep on Get Smart. It's pretty good. No, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good cable movie. Yep. Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Which I love. I know. Hancock, I said already. Mamma Mia, I mentioned already. Uh, Vicky Christina Barcelona. Woody Allen. Oh, I've never seen it. Yeah. Good one. Scar Joe. Okay. Penelope Cruz. Solid. Uh, 
I put down Righteous Kill. Just not because it's a good movie, but I think it's so interesting that Pacino and De Niro were in an action movie together mm-hmm. and no one talks about it. Yeah, I know. I just think that's kind of fascinating. Because wasn't it like terrible? Yeah. Yeah. I just put that down. Interesting cliff note uh, or um, <laughs> interesting footnote from 2008. <laughs> uh, we got Che, the Steven Soderbergh movie. Okay. Never seen. Never seen it either. Gran Torino. Oh, I like Gran Torino. I have mixed thoughts on Gran Torino these days. Yeah. Not really sure where I stand. <laughs> Curious Kate's of Benjamin Button. You said almost made it on. I can't stand that movie. Uh, seven Pounds. People like it. Will Smith was a big star in 2008. Mm, I can not terribly fond of that movie. Okay. Burn After Reading. I love Burn After Reading. I do too. Excellent movie. Could have easily made the cut. One of the Coen brothers' more underrated films. I oh, think. for sure. Yes. Could be their most underrated at this point. Maybe, yeah. Just because like, I know everybody says the man who wasn't there is their most underrated, but I feel like so many people have said that it's underrated that it's now properly rated. Yeah, I, I would have said the same thing about The Big Lebowski back when The Big Lebowski, came, Big Lebowski came out. Right. But now everyone loves The Big Lebowski. So yeah, this one is still like sort of forgotten. Yeah. Well, it was sandwiched right in between two big Oscar movies too. True, yeah. No Country for Old Men and True Grit. This one came out in between. Mm-hmm. So um, that happens with the Coens though, is they'll make like a critically acclaimed... Uh, award bait movie yeah and then they'll go fuck off with a quirky comedy true yeah they sort of jump back and forth i mean that's kind of what they did with like hail caesar it's like what is this well they did big lebowski right after fargo i know which is so strange you know it's like they're coming off of this critically acclaimed masterpiece and then they make a weird stoner movie set in la mm-hmm. about bowling <laughs> I love like Roger Ebert, or uh, maybe it wasn't Roger Ebert. It might have been Gene Siskel. But it's like he said something like, "I really trusted these guys after Fargo, or something like that." Right. And then they went and they made this. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Boy, but, was he wrong though? For sure, they do that all the time though. Yeah. Uh, some documentaries. We haven't nominated a single documentary yet. No. Nah. And I have a plan for one. I know for sure I'm going to okay. nominate at some point in the future. I have not seen very many documentaries. Okay. I don't I don't dig into documentaries as much as I should. I went through a phase when I was like in my late teens, early 20s, where I watched nothing but documentaries <laughs> for a few months. Wow. Yeah. It, it There was definitely a time I was obsessed with documentaries. They can, even those movies can be really upsetting is the thing. Oh, for sure. Like, my God. I think, didn't Dear Zachary come out this year? Oh, Jesus did it. Yeah. Uh, really hard film to swallow. I also wrote down Man on Wire. Um, really, you ever seen Man on Wire? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, iconic documentary in a weird way. I feel yeah. Like people reference that a lot. That and, that walk. And then they did a movie about it. Yeah. They, which I did not see. I didn't see it. It's a Zemeckis film, though. Right. Yeah. And it's Jogo. I hear it's okay. Okay. Um. So that came out. Bill Maher's Religious came out that year. I want to mention that interesting, thought-provoking movie. Um. And then you got. You know, your Oscar movie, Slumdog Millionaire, which I thought generally was not a good representation of 2008, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Sure. Milk, which I like. Have you seen Milk? Yeah. It's It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Gus Van Sant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sean Penn's good in it. Um, Sort of a run-of-the-mill biopic. Frost Nixon, I have not seen, I admit. I do like Frost Nixon, actually. Okay. It's fun. Seems like a Nico movie. It's a Ron Howard film. Okay. So I don't know. Then never mind. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? It's actually one of his better uh, recent films, I, I would say. Okay. Have not seen The Reader? Uh, I haven't seen it either. Okay. Feel bad about that. Uh, Synecdoche, New York. Which is another one that I've been meaning to see, which I have not. 
That's a Charlie Kaufman movie, right? Yes, which means I probably wouldn't love it, but... Okay, but you'd respect it. Yes. Right. And uh, have not seen Revolutionary Road, but the chicks love that Revolutionary Road. That's another... Well, obviously. Yeah. It's the team-up, the second team-up between Leo and his best friend. Winslet, yeah. All right, uh, let's do it. Let's talk. Should we get into another argument? Nah. It's going to be hard for me to argue about this film... (laughs) Because I, I should have rewatched it, but we could try. I just gotta. You should have done a lot of things. I get, well. What do you mean? I should have done. You should have done a lot of things, dude. Like what? <laughs> Is there anything I should have done before I was born? We'll talk about it. <laughs> um, talk about it off air. Mm. Doubt. I did not realize that I was heading into such a, a firestorm when I nominated Doubt. <laughs> I didn't realize this. Yeah. I'm shocked. What? I really like this movie, and I thought it'd be. Uh, I don't know a a, a well respected nominee here. It's okay, did not imagine that this month one of the bigger arguments that we'd have over a movie is doubt. A movie that nobody has seen. I don't understand this. <laughs> Why do you hate about doubt so much? I just find it boring, and I hate uh, Amy Adams in the movie. She's a little tough. Yeah, it's like I think this. You know what? This might have been the instance that. It made me I think it made me question a lot of actors. Is my first introduction to Meryl Streep. Your first introduction to Meryl Streep oh, was I, doubt? Yeah, because I, I yeah, I, this is probably the first movie I ever saw that she was in. This is the first Meryl Streep movie you've ever seen. Yeah. Wow. Well that's something. And I was like, Oh, she's she I don't know if I like her. So that yeah, whatever. Oh boy. I'm just gonna I'm like, okay, whatever. But then I saw Kramer versus Kramer and Sophie's Choice and all those other one and the Devil Wears Prada. I was like, okay, maybe she's a great actress. But uh <laughs> But no, I just like very indifferent towards just about everything in this movie. I don't know. I don't know what it is about the film. And I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I probably should have rewatched it, but I just remember on first viewing I was like, Oh, that was it. I mean that was that was kind of boring, right? I don't know. So you hate this movie because it's boring and it has bad performances. <laughs> sure. That's your take. Sure. <laughs> for the record. Philip Seymour Hoffman's great. I want you to state for the record that this movie is hindered by bad performances. Is that correct? Uh, not Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just Meryl Streep is bad in this movie. That's your take. I'll find... I'll call her flat. Flat! Yeah. Flat! Meryl's incredible in this. Mm. What are we talking about here? Meryl is awesome in this movie. Mm, okay. I don't know. I find her very forgettable. I don't think I've ever seen a more convincing nun on screen ever. Not Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she has the exact demeanor of a nun in this. I guess. You know, she's got uh, a bit of a chip on her shoulder. She's very strict. She reminds you of, like, your grandmother that, that didn't let you eat candy when she was babysitting you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair. I think we all know... Maybe it was, like, a preschool teacher or something. <laughs> but we all know older oh, yeah, women right. like this. Yeah. Um, whether or not you're related to them. I know, like, my father went to Catholic school. So did mine. Yeah. So he hung out with the nuns. And I hear a lot of stories. And I imagine that the experience of dealing with nuns in Catholic school is very similar to the experience portrayed in this movie. I know in particular, uh, John Patrick Shanley plays, uh, or I'm sorry, wrote the thing and directed the thing. It's based on his Tony Award-winning play. Mm -hmm. And it's also very closely um, related to his real-life story. Apparently, he was sexually assaulted by a priest at a young age. And this is sort of a loose retelling of his 
whole debacle. So it feels very authentic. Um, I will see you on the fact that it's um, a little flat from a filmmaking point of view because it's not a filmmaker doing it. It's a playwright doing it. Yeah. And it feels very much like a play. It's a self-contained story. There are a limited number of sets. It's all basically in this school. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the action takes place in Philip Seymour Hoffman's office. Yes. Um, all of the emotional uh, climaxes happen there. So, yes, maybe I'm more predisposed to like a movie like this, but I think the dialogue's just excellent, and I think it's an actor showcase. Yeah. I really think, like, Merrill's incredible in it. Hoffman could be one of his best performances. No, that's the real takeaway from this film, because it's like, you you know that there's a there's a good chance that he did the horrible things that he did, but you, right. f- you kind of feel bad for him. Yeah. Absolutely. You really do. He's yeah. a sympathetic because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's excellent in this film. Yeah. But I think I see. Uh, and no, most of the performances are are good. I Again, I I don't know. There's just something about Meryl Streep in this. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Amy Adams is troubling. I'll agree with you. I just this might have been the film that made me say like, yeah, I don't like Amy Adams. It was also the first Amy Adams film I ever saw. And I was like, wow, I don't like her at all. Viola Davis is good in it for two. Yeah. Scenes, uh, you know, what? that's true. She is pretty good. In this I mean, scene. she's great in everything, but yeah. she's really good in this. I think she got an Oscar nomination. This thing was nominated for, I believe, just uh, acting awards. Best actress, best supporting actor and best supporting actress twice over. I do love that scene where they're like sitting in the, the, the courtyard or wherever they are and the and Viola Davis is just unloading about how she knows her son's gay and yeah. all that other stuff. It's like really interesting to see how Meryl Streep reacts to that. Right. Especially because she's a nun. It's like, what? Right. Okay with this? It's no, like... but she's, no, but she's an interesting character though yeah. because she is very sympathetic. She cares about these kids a lot yeah. and she's dealing with sort of the harsh realities of the world mm-hmm. or in some cases, not in the case of the son being gay, but in the case of the priest molesting this young boy, um, seeing her deal with that and uh, attempt empathy, even though she's like a really straight-laced, strict woman, I just think is incredibly compelling. I, I love her in this movie, man. I think she's awesome uh-huh. in the lead. And she's the emotional center, and without her, the movie just doesn't work. True. Um I can't believe your take is Meryl Streep was not good in doubt. That's nuts to me. <laughs> I can, Absolutely nuts. I can take it or leave it. Not the not a bad performance. I didn't say that. I'm just like whatever. I look. I, I watch her in the movie. I'm like, okay, all right, fine. It's especially now after I've seen other Meryl Streep movies. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, Meryl. I mean, go back to Mama Mia, Jesus. <laughs> I love the ending of this movie. I love her final line. I have so much doubt. Um, really moving. I love like the little details too. There's this running motif, if you want to call it that, where Meryl Streep tells Philip Seymour Hoffman to cut his fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like this little character detail that it doesn't like necessarily say anything in particular, but it feels gross. Mm-hmm. And so you get this sense that something's not quite right with the guy. You know, he's got a, a, a great, a, a loving face. He's huggable. He's good with kids. Mm-hmm. Parents like him, but he doesn't fucking cut his fingernails. <laughs> Something's off there. I just love that little beat. It's always like that one little detail that no one else would spot. Right. And then when you do, you're like, yeah, no, just that one thing sets everything in motion. And then you can kind of trace a line back to what's really going on. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love Doubt, man. I think it's a really good movie. I think it's by far and away one of the six best movies of the year. Hmm. No question about it. Sorry, you don't feel the same way. Mm. I was I, expecting you to put up more of a fight, though. I just don't care about it. 
That's the thing. It's like I don't I don't have the energy. Like, you know, if this movie never came out, I would have been like, all right, fine. You know, <laughs> there, there are times when I was when I watched First Reformed that just visually it kind of reminded me of doubt in a lot of ways. Well, it's uh, about Catholicism. Yeah, I know. But just the, the, the black and white nature of it all, it just feels like that to me. But it's, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about it at all. I hate you so much. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Another movie I don't, you know, we'll 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 talk about. Well, Wall-E. get on your pulpit, talk about it. We're talking about Wally now. Wally, directed yeah, by right. Andrew Stanton, starring Ben Burt, Alyssa Knight, Jeff Garland, Fred Willard, and Sigourney Weaver. Oh God, that's right. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver's in this. Yeah, and live action Fred Willard. Remember? Holy shit, that's they, right. They use the actual footage of the guy. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, Pixar had never done that before. Uh, winner of best animated feature, also nominated for best original screenplay. Original score, original song, sound mixing, and sound editing at the Oscars. In the distant future, a small waste-collecting robot inadvertently embarks on a space journey that will ultimately decide the fate of mankind. Yeah. What don't you like about Wally? Uh. Hmm. You know, I don't really know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just I like the movie actually. I'm not I'm not saying I don't, but I think it's one of those Pixar movies that I just kind of like I throw it into like the Finding Dory category where it's like, yeah, I'll lump it into those ones that are like good, but I don't really necessarily know if I need to revisit that thing. Hmm. I I Would you consider it disposable? Uh, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> um no, cuz visually it's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Hmm. What the hell is keeping me back from liking Wally? Because yeah, I don't quite know. Because I do really like the, the the these little robot characters. Right. I kind of like the journey that they go on. I do. Maybe maybe it's the humans in this. I find the human characters to be sort of annoying. That's entirely what it is for me. So, entirely, it's the human characters. So yeah, uh, I lumped this into the Full Metal Jacket category. Mm-hmm. This is two movies in one. And the first movie is remarkable, and the second movie is whatever. Yeah. That's what this is. The first half, where Wally and Eve are falling in love... It's great. ...is incredible. It's among the best stuff that Pixar had ever done. Mostly dialogue-free, except for a few, like, random recordings that the robots play for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, reminds me a lot of just, like, the Pixar lamp from that original yeah. short, you know? And it, it's really marvelous what Pixar is able to do with such little dialogue and such expression... Um, felt like a short film and a wonderful short film about forbidden love. And then, yeah, the humans come around and they're fat and they're in like Segway things. It's just on the nose and too on the nose. It's, it's like, Oh God, like movie, like it's, I hate it when they beat you over the head with what they're saying. And it's annoying because I know that Pixar has done so much better than that. Right. Where they didn't need to go that obvious. And I'm just like, is this really the, the, the message that you're, you're riding so hard on? I mean, it just, and just seeing them in, in, in those scenes, I'm just like, I just fucking hate these people. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not the, it's not the kind of movie I wanted to be situated in, but they're like cartoonishly stupid people that's the thing and i know that's ironic because we're talking about a cartoon but most pixar characters are more thickly drawn and these just aren't but i'm looking yeah well that's the other thing is that i'm looking at it and i'm like is this a representation of all humanity right or just america (laughs) well it's a representation of where america is headed i think but what about the rest of the world right 
Exactly. <laughs> well, there's only like 30 of them on a spaceship, basically. <laughs> Who cares? The implication sci- is that's all that's left. It's a science fiction film. Put them on a board cube. I don't care. Right. It's just... It's like no, like you can you can take all of humanity and put it on a planet, another like artificial planet, whatever. Like I just, I just, I don't know. It, maybe it's because I'm a sci-fi nerd. I'm just like this is stupid. You thought it was bad sci-fi, <laughs> kind of. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> maybe that makes sense. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, I was like, you know, it's funny. Hmm. You know, I might write on that. It's just bad science fiction, huh? And so when the movie attempts to become science fiction, that's where it fails. Yeah, because it's, it's not interesting. Uh, I think in, the best sci-fi has a lot to say about humanity itself. Yep. And what this is saying about people in general is just lame to me. Right. I'm just like, I, I don't care about the, the, you know, the preservation of the earth and plant life and, and well, life here, itself. Well, okay, here's where I disagree with you on, though. I, I actually think the environmentalism works. I think it works very well in the first half. No, it's, I'm not talking about the first half, though, because the first half is kind of remarkable. Well, the fir- well but- right. The first half, though, I, I read as a more environmental cautionary tale. The second half is more about technology mm-hmm. and our obsession with television and our over-reliance on technology to do our work for us. Yes, absolutely. And I find that, um, I find that message to be a little mixed. And a little contradictory mm-hmm. because we're supposed to believe that technology is going to lead to our downfall, but the heroes that we follow are the direct result of scientific innovation. Yes. The main characters are robots mm-hmm. and they are the heroes of the story. So I, I find it to be sort of needlessly preachy and not well thought out. You know, this idea that watching a lot of television and building robots to do shit for us is a bad thing, but meanwhile, Wally and Eve are our heroes, you know? Yep. So I, I just think, like, there's an inherent contradiction in that. I agree. Um, and yeah, I also just don't find that particularly interesting. I've seen that message told before in better ways. I mean, I mean, most of the thing is, like, most sci-fi films just do it, like, a thousand times better, whether it's, like, uh, uh, like her or the Blade Runner films. They just kind of get it. Right. And then this is just, I don't know. I don't want to dock it too much because, again, it's catering to a different audience than those films particularly. Yep. But uh, I don't know. There's just a bit of me that says, I don't know. I feel like he could have been a little more interesting with this. Right. It's like this is the best thing you can go with is we're going to be stuck on a ship and we're going to have robots do everything for us. Like take, you know, put us in the shower or whatever, transport us on our fat asses to the, to the assembly line of food. Like, is that it? It's, it's, it's too obvious for me, I guess. Right. I don't know. I feel like we're just going in circles, but I think ultimately it's, it's just like, yeah, the, the, the human side of the story is just kind of dumb. It's too on the nose. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, again, I don't want to take away from the incredible animation in the first half. You know, uh, incredible animation in the second half, too. It's yeah. Very well done, but... I, I like the ending. I like where the movie lands yeah. um, with them coming back to Earth with the plant. Um, yeah, I like it. I, uh, I I think agree with you, though. Once the humans come into the picture, that's when the movie is ruined for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that keeps it from being a great movie. Yes. I think the first half, though, is still incredible. Uh, one little thing for you. Andrew Stanton conceived Wally during a lunch with fellow writers John Lasseter... Pete Doctor and Joe Ranfit, mm-hmm. um, the minds behind Pixar. In 1994, yep. this lunch meeting was. Listen to this. Toy Story was near completion, and the writers brainstormed ideas for their next projects. A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and Wally 
were all conceived at this same lunch. Wow. And Wally didn't come out until Jesus, like over 10 years later. Was yeah. it 14 years later? Well, yeah, 14 years later. Wow. Damn, dude. That was a weekend. Yeah. I can't think of one idea for a good script. They came up with four at the same lunch. Bugs Life, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Wally. Two hours it took to come up with those. I know. What a productive day. You can go home happy that night. I have problems with people like that. <laughs> you know, we, I resent them. That's what a, it is. In a way, yeah. I just hate them. Like, how do you come up with this shit? Yes. Hey, it just bothers me. Yeah. I really honestly hope that the guy who, with a bug's life was just like, you know, let's just remake Seven Samurai. Right. I don't think that was the meeting. <sighs> I hope it was. I really don't want them to be that creative. <laughs> it, it's just insane to me. It's insane to me how creative some people are and how I'll never be able to do that. Yeah. It just bothers me. Fucking Monsters, Inc. has an accurate representation of uh, the fourth dimension. Yes. With the with the doors. <laughs> I remember Neil deGrasse Tyson was watching the movie and he's like, well, you know, funny thing about this movie about <laughs> monsters going into closets. It's actually kind of scientifically accurate. I'm like, what the, what the fuck do you mean it's scientifically accurate? He's like, well. <laughs> they just stumbled into it. Like, like fucking. <laughs> it's like. These guys, man. It's like James Cameron <laughs> has been working 40 years to come up with an accurate representation of the fourth dimension, and Monsters, Inc. just did it in in a in an afternoon. On accident. <laughs> On accident. That's the point. It's like, oh, yeah, actually, that's that's precisely how this would work. Like, fuck you guys. You're right. It bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> They're so brilliant. I hate it. I hate how brilliant they are. Yes. But I also love them. Yeah. Pixar. I mean, if this is one of... Um, um, uh, Pixar's lesser efforts if we want to call it that that's still pretty good fuck yeah yeah that's pretty incredible if yeah. I make something a third as good as Wally in my life <laughs> yeah I can die a happy man true all right this is one of your nominees mm. and one of your faves oh my god yeah let's talk about in Bruges finally written and directed by Martin McDonough starring Colin Farrell Blendon, Brendan Gleeson and Ray Fiennes nominated for best original screenplay at the Oscars Guilt-stricken after a job gone wrong, hitman Ray and his partner await orders of their ruthless boss in Bruges, Belgium, the last place in the world Ray wants to be. Hmm. Um, this is a movie you reference a lot. God, <laughs> I reference it all the time. I can't help it, though. Yeah. Uh, put your finger on exactly what you find so compelling about this story aside from the execution because it's a really funny movie with snappy dialogue and good performances and it's actually pretty well shot oh yeah actually. for martin mcdonough who's a playwright mm -hmm. and not a director first mm -hmm. um what do you find compelling about this tale i mean a lot of i mean it's 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 too easy just to go back to the characters but the characters are quite wonderful i there is an interesting a dichotomy here with how funny the movie is but also how dark it is mm. and why they're there in the first place i don't know i kind of like the uh, seeing these people try to you know get through their time there amidst just a lot of inner turmoil mm. and when you actually see why they're there in the first place it's like oh shit this movie is actually actually means something doesn't right. it you know so it's 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 not just a simple comedy and, and and in that way it sort of reflects life a lot better than it normally would because mm. i think 
you know, I guess in every movie, as crazy as it is, you sort of try to put yourself in the character's uh, shoes. And right. I always wonder, like, hmm, if, if anything like this happened to me, how how much fun would I be trying to have? Right. Would I be funny at all? Would I be miserable? You know, that kind of thing. And I honestly think it would be kind of messy in the way that Ray's uh, uh, journey is. Yeah. Uh, so. Let's not spoil that character beat because they actually think people should go out and watch this okay. movie if they haven't seen it. Um, but, yeah, the main character played by Colin Farrell is coping with a decision that he made mm-hmm. um and he's a hitman so yeah it involved a gun and someone getting shot um he's coping with that decision in bruges and you find out about it halfway through mm-hmm. and it adds you're right a whole other dimension to this because on its surface this feels like another waiting for godot meandering dialogue heavy my dinner with andre comedy yeah um but yeah, you add that other plot element and it's like, no, this is actually an existential film that is meant to simulate purgatory. Yeah. And that feeling of um of despair and regret. <laughs> and so yeah, it actually does a really good job getting into the characters here. Yeah. Oh and that's what elevates it for me into a great movie. Can I say something? This is when maybe it's 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 like one of my I don't know top three favorite screenplays. Oh yeah, love this screenplay. Yeah, I we'll, mean it's excellent. We'll talk about this in a second. I think it should have won best screenplay that year. Mm. Um, kind of surprised that. Well, I'm not shocked that it didn't win, but um, could have easily took that home. Uh, love Brendan Gleeson in this. Yeah, obviously Colin Farrell is the center, and he's awesome. God, he's so good. He, he won a Golden Globe for this. Didn't he, he did. Yeah. He won the best comedy Golden Globe yeah. that year. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, though, is really fun, and I just love him in everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need more Brendan Gleeson in our <laughs> lives. Just love that guy. We don't need his stupid ass son. His son's pretty good, though. His son's, yeah, I mean, his son's like a huge star. Yeah, How weird is that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it took me a long time to figure out that, wait, that's his kid? Right. <laughs> I guess I can see it. Right. <laughs> it's just funny who the stars end up being. How do you uh, say his name, Nico? Domnal. No. Domo? Donal. You fucker! Uh, I have a little bit of a, tro- uh, a problem with this ending, though. Oh yeah, in Bruges, yeah, yeah, I have a little problem with this ending. If I were to nitpick, I find that final moment to be too cute. <laughs> you know what? Where the where the little person gets his head blown off? Spoiler alert! But yes, I find that to be a little too clever for its own good, <laughs> okay. and not like a natural emotional climax. But just Martin McDonough putting a character in as a plot device and then paying it off and being like, I'm so clever and smart. I figured this out. Look at the parallels between these two men. Mm -hmm. And it just always felt a little, I guess the word is not exploitative, but a little too clever for its own good. Sure. And it it just didn't sit with me right. It just felt like, oh, that's kind of a gimmicky ending. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. It's, It's poetic. So I guess I like it. <laughs> yeah, but poetic how, though? Poetic I, in the way like a Dr. Seuss book is poetic. Nothing wrong with that, though. Maybe. But you're dealing with serious stuff, and that didn't feel like that serious of an ending. Eh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of disagree with that. Should we get into spoilers? Sure. Explain what happens at the end. Oh, uh, well, um... Well, you spoiler have to, alert for yeah, Bruges. Big spoilers. I mean, you sort of have to start with the fact that, um... He... <sighs> yeah, you kind of have to trace it way back, actually. Well, go ahead. Do your best. Uh, so Ray is actually on this trip because Brendan Gleeson uh, has been assigned to kill him, mm-hmm. essentially. And then he decides not to. And then he lets his boss know that, yeah, I didn't kill this guy and I just let him go. So the boss 
and played by Ray Fiennes, ends up uh, coming to Bruges to kind of finish the job and get rid of uh, Brendan Gleeson's character now because he's mad at him. Right. And that doesn't exactly happen. Yep. Uh, well, kind of. Mm, it's complicated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Ray... What a disturbing moment that uh, is, by the way. It's so sad and just it's kind of beautiful but it's like it is very beautiful but like i don't think i've ever seen a more gruesome look at someone falling off a building before yeah where he just kind of explodes right but he's still laying there kind of alive twitching and there's blood all over the place it's actually really effective i love the line i'm gonna die now yeah i think right (laughs) it's like and he doesn't go and it's like yeah weirdly comedic and it's awesome blend of tone there well that's the entire movie yeah i love it though but then uh uh ray uh while on the run is transported back to bruges at a certain point because he heat the canadian yeah (laughs) i heat the canadian i don't know what you're talking about Uh, yeah, because he, he he punched someone in a bar, and the cops come and get him, and they put him back in Bruges, and uh, he's he he gets let out of prison by his uh by his girlfriend well, girlfriend in quotes, mm-hmm. and um, he ends up running into uh, Brendan Gleeson's boss, who starts pursuing him and shooting at him and all this other stuff, and at a certain point in the pursuit, he is sh- well. We should mention why he's been exiled, though. It's because he shot a kid by mistake. Oh, I thought we were we weren't gonna. Oh, I guess. Well, we're I spoiling. mean, now we're spoiling, so yeah. we have to. Yeah. Yes. the The big issue is that. Uh, um, Colin Farrell uh, shot a kid during his first uh, hit. Right. He was assigned to kill a priest, and he, in, in the process of trying to kill the priest, he accidentally killed a little kid. Right. And so th- his bosses believe that this is an unforgivable sin, yes. and so he has to be taken out for that reason. Mm-hmm. Right. So continue. So yeah, in, during the pursuit, Ray is shot, and he humbles into a film set, uh, where he comes across a friend of his that's sort of a through line throughout the film is uh, he's a little person. Yeah. Um, dwarf. A dwarf, yes. He, he prefers dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> and again, um, Martin McDonough in his obsession with little people. I noticed that too. I'm like, what? Yeah. You, I, you're doing this again? Like, right. Okay. Yeah. In three billboards. Yeah, I know. That was sort of strange to me yes i don't quite get it but whatever. I, I don't either but continue <laughs> uh anyway so the this the the dwarf friend comes to see what's wrong with him because obviously colin farrell's bleeding from his gut and all that other stuff and um they stop and they look at each other but uh, just as they're about to do so uh ray fines comes up behind ray and shoots him multiple times in the back and of course they go through his stomach and they shoot the guy the little midget <laughs> jesus i said it <laughs> they shoot the dwarf in the head right and so Ray Fiennes mistakenly believes that he himself killed a child yes. because the dwarf is playing a child on the set of this movie. He's yes. dressed like a little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ray Fiennes proceeds to kill himself because he cannot bear the fact that he just shot a child. Yes. Um, again, I just find it to be a little too cute, <laughs> a little too convenient. And I don't know. It, it's a It's a little silly, the idea that the emotional climax of the movie revolves around mistaking a little person for a child. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just say that out loud and it feels a little cheap. Yeah, but that's not the point. But it is, though. Isn't no, it? no, 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 no. I mean, the point is, is, is what he realizes when he sees that he has shot this person, though. You got to actually wonder, like, if it would have been any different had it been, uh, had it, if he realized it was just a little person. Right. You know, I mean, well, I'd like to see them go there. Yeah, but they don't go there. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure it really matters. I still feel like he made it may have, may have ended up in the same place. Right. Well, that's the other thing, too. It's like the film implies that it's uh, it's more forgivable to shoot a little person as opposed to a child. 
and right like isn't part of the emotional climax of in a way yeah Colin Farrell says don't kill yourself that wasn't a child after all that was just my little person friend it's an interesting question though maybe it is more forgivable (laughs) no but that's the thing but it's it's kind of troubling I find that whole the logic of that scene to be kind of troubling I I sort of like that it's a little more troubling though and it trivializes I think the little person character too yeah now that I think that's if I'm to say anything about it it sort of makes I don't know his ultimate impact on the film a little lesser, even yeah. though I mean he's important for for the climax of the film and yeah, all. But he's but... a Chekhov's gun throughout the movie. That's sort what you realize. Yeah. You know, he's just a plot device. Mm-hmm. He's not actually character. That's what bothers me. Well, about I it. don't know if he's. I mean, he's not like like character in the way that uh, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell are. But I mean, he's certainly a personality. Yeah, like I can definitely describe him to you. He's. I think he's a well enough drawn character. Certainly a m- more well drawn than most Chekhov's guns. Yeah, by a mile. Still bothered me, man. And it still felt a little too cute for a movie that, as you said, is a really cool character study. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting pace, awesome dialogue, love movies that feel like plays, and all Martin McDonough movies sort of feel like plays. Yeah. Uh, it just felt very playwright. That's a decision that a playwright <laughs> would make. You know what I mean? I suppose. I, I, I think it, it didn't feel out of place, though. Okay. That's my thing. I think if it felt like like obviously like like it didn't belong, then it would have been more of an issue for me. But it just felt kind of appropriate. I don't know. Okay. Anything else about In Bruges? This is your favorite movie here. Say whatever you want about it. God, I love the the characters. I love I love the little comedic set pieces that happen. Especially, it is more just like the, with the dialogue. I mean, just some of the best dialogue ever. I mean, Ray, you're about the worst tourist in the whole world. <laughs> Ken, I grew up in Dublin. I love Dublin. If I'd grown up on a farm and was retarded, Bruges might impress me. But I didn't, so it doesn't. I love it. <laughs> Great Irish accents in this movie, too. Oh, Jesus, like the best. Incredible Irish accents. The accent. best. <laughs> Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell have the two greatest accents, I think, of any actors on the planet. Oh, my God, I love it so much. By the way, anybody that criticizes Colin Farrell, which he's, he's one to take some criticism every now and again for being a bit flat on screen, like, just see this movie. He's really remarkable in it. This was sort of like a resurgence for him, I believe, too. Yeah. Because yeah. beforehand, he, would, he was only doing like kind of like low grade, like random, like cop movies and stuff like that. He, he was in SWAT yeah. for some reason. He was in a movie called Phone Booth, which I, oh, lo- right. I like, but I wouldn't exactly call it like like a memorable film in the grand scheme of things. Miami Vice was earlier oh, God, that that's year. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's in a lot of weird movies at the beginning of his career like that, but. Um, SWAT, as you said, Daredevil. He was in. Oh God, that's right. He was in Daredevil. Minority Report. Uh, yeah, like his career is kind of spotty before then. He wasn't exactly well loved before that. No, he was just an action guy. Yeah, and then yeah, he does in Bruges. And you're right. After that, you look you look down the line. The way back, Crazy Heart, Horrible Bosses. I guess he's in for a little bit. Uh, he's good in that though. Yeah. Uh, Total Recall. Mm. Again, you're dabbling in some dice territory. But then, yeah, it's Seven Psychopaths, and it's uh, Saving Mr. Banks, and it's a lobster. And yeah, I was going to say, there's a point where he meets Yorgos. Right, now he's just Yorgos' guy. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> it is. And by the way, incredible in Widows last year. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. Wasn't I it? adore him in Widows. Yeah, he's great. So, this is yeah, this is, to me, an excellent film with wonderful characters, surprisingly well shot. Uh, and some of, some of the more memorable, uh, emotional but comedic, uh, uh, I guess, scenes that I've seen in a, in a in a while in any movie really. It's got honestly got some of my favorite moments. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just love the whole uh, um, uh, 
clock and Jesus, um, a church tower sequence when, when, uh, Brendan Gleeson jumps off of it, but the build up to that as well is wonderful. Yeah. I love it when he's like, um, he's like, no, you say all that stuff. I can't fucking shoot you. Can I? And he's like crying. <laughs> he's like, it's entirely up to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love hitmen with a total understanding of their profession. Yes. <laughs> it's my favorite trope. And that's the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. They just know exactly what the score is and they've accepted it as fact. <laughs> it's the whole reason why I like John Wick. Oh, my. <laughs> that's okay. Fair. Right. <laughs> that's an interesting uh, uh, look at that movie. You know, criminals that treat their jobs as a profession are just awesome to me. Sure. I yeah. love that. Still haven't seen John Wick Chapter 3. Yeah, that is shocking to me you haven't went out and saw that yet. No. You missed your chance to see it on the big screen, dude. Yeah, I know. Oh. Uh, heard it was good. Yeah. Okay. It's fucking John Wick, of yeah. course. <laughs> all right. Damn, I wish we could have done a podcast about that one. I'll see it eventually. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Okay. We've already talked hunger. Yeah, we have. Um, so let's go to The Wrestler. Mm, the Wrestler. What a peachy film this one is. Oh, real. <laughs> uh, yeah, a real joy. Directed by Darren Aronofsky, starring Mickey Rourke, Marissa Tomei, and Evan Rachel Wood. Nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress at the Academy Awards. A faded professional wrestler must retire, but finds his quest for a new life outside the ring a dispiriting struggle. Mm-hmm. Um... Now that I've seen Hunger, it's no longer the most depressing movie of the year. <laughs> That's great. What? Uh, the Wrestler? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Because when I saw this one for the first time, um, I was floored mm-hmm. with it. Um, and I haven't like revisited it a ton. It's been on TV. Yeah. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. So I'll like flip it on for like the Marissa Tomei scenes <laughs> and I'll enjoy it. Uh, but this movie's a real downer. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, it's just about a guy just deteriorating. Right. Really. But it's also quite beautiful and intimate. Oh, so it's, this movie is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad and it's just wonderful. But it, again, it's sort of, it's shot with like an avant-garde sensibility. Yeah. Where, like things are sort of kept from just a, not a total distance, but a little bit of a distance where there are times where it feels almost more documentary in a way. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's shot like a documentary. Mm-hmm. It's just like the camera's in the room and it's all handheld for the most part, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, the the film stock is kind of grainy. Mm-hmm. Almost looks like a VHS camcorder yep. type thing. Similar to like if you were watching professional professional wrestling tapes from like the 70s. Yep. This is what it would look like. Um and a lot of the dialogue was improvised really yeah i guess i can see that yeah uh like the deli scene i love the deli scene oh my god the where, deli scene is dope you know uh, go go back go long go long how about them cowboys <laughs> <laughs> love how much fun he was having doing that too it's so great totally improvised with real customers at the grocery store wow that's what that was were they all real customers i mean i think they were told they were filming a movie but yeah they were actual customers at the grocery store one of them looks exactly like martin scorsese's mom I don't think Martin Scorsese's mom's in it. No, I know, but it looks exactly How do you know what Martin Scorsese's mom looks like? Because I've seen Goodfellas. That's Martin Scorsese's mom? Yeah, like, I'll I'll make you something. No, I I, I haven't seen him in so long. Come on inside. Yeah, that's Martin Scorsese's mom. What? You didn't know that? The fuck? What? Are you kidding me? Come on, dude. Dog lady's Martin Scorsese's mom? 
Yeah. What? Yeah. It one, sounds better in Italian? Yeah. One dog looks one way, one dog looks the other way. Yeah. And it looks better. It and the male goes, hey, what do you want from me? <laughs> That's Martin Scorsese's mom? Yeah, dude. Ma, can I take this knife? <laughs> I'm just going to use it. You know, I got to get the hoof out. Got to get the What do you call it? The paw? The paw? The hoof. The hoof. The hoof. <laughs> it's a sin, Ma. It's a sin. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, dude. I didn't know that. Oh, come on. I swear to God, I didn't know that. Wow. That is one of the big. How do I not know that? That's a see. That's amazing to me. How don't you know? How that? How do I not know that? Jesus! How do you know that? And I don't know that. That bothers me. <laughs> that bothers me. That I didn't know that. Oh no! This started off. How do you know what Martin Scorsese's mom looks like? And I'm like, how could I not know what she looks like? Oh no! I do not like that. I don't know that. Jeez! That's Marty's real mom. Look it up right now. My favorite scene from Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, my favorite scene too. Probably. Look it up. I'm. Pr- I promise you. I'm not kidding. Oh my god. Why don't you find a nice girl? <laughs> Henry, you don't talk so much. That's Scorsese's mom! Yeah! You bastard. It really bothers me. I didn't know that. And that you did. I just yeah. don't like that you have that in your head and I didn't have well, it in my it's, head. It's, well, now it's in my head. Okay. okay. It's crazy. If you're wrong about this, you're in trouble. Martin Scorsese. Oh, come on. Spell it right, you stupid phone. I hope you're right. Yeah. You just got this wrong. This would be very embarrassing for you. It would be very embarrassing. But I'm right. Damn, dude. Yep, that is her. Mm-hmm. That's a woman from the scene. Yep. I love that. She's great in that movie. Yeah, she's she makes cameos all the time. She was in Mean Streets and she was in uh, Casino. Yeah. Okay. His her um, rather um, his dad is in a few movies as well. So did not know that. Damn. Okay. Um, anyway, (laughs) so a lot of improvised dialogue, a lot of real wrestlers were used in this movie. Yep. Oh yeah. um, You can tell too. That's, it gives it a real authentic look. Let's talk about Darren Aronofsky for a second. Oh God. Oh Jesus. We've talked about him a lot. We're talking about him again. Yeah. My God. For some reason he comes up for a guy with not like a huge resume and not a lot of movies that we love. We talk about him quite a bit on this podcast. Well, his, he makes very good movies sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but even like his very good films are films that I don't really want to rewatch. Yeah. So, you know. Is this his best movie? Mm, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely his most accessible, which is saying something. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> if this is his most accessible. Uh, I think his, his best, though, I mean, it could be Requiem for a Dream. Really? I mean, Requiem for a Dream is just like filmmaking galore. Like he's doing so much in that movie, but it's just not enjoyable at all. You never saw Pie, huh? No. Uh-huh. I hear Pie is an awesome independent movie. Um, Black Swan's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's true. I do love Black Swan like a lot. Black Swan's a good time. <laughs> of all the ones I've seen, this is by far and away his best, in my opinion. It's uh, I it. <sighs> It'd be like those three, Wrestler, Black Swan, and Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. We I mean, still need... There's not many more. There's like Noah, Mother. <laughs> uh, there's The Fountain. I've not Pop. seen The Fountain. I hear it's not good. Uh, that's not true. Really? You defend The Fountain? Easily. I didn't know you were a fountain stan. It's just out there. Really? <laughs> and I don't understand the movie, but you know, whatever. Wow, didn't know that. Yeah. Um... No, I I just love how personal this movie is. Um, it's a it's a real uh, actor showcase. Oh my god, Mickey Rourke! It's his comeback performance. Like it's Mickey Rourke, like you've never seen him before. Like rightfully so, because he's phenomenal in this movie. Yeah, he's tremendous. Um, and I am going to talk about Marissa Tomei <laughs> in just a minute. But 
Oh my lord, is she wonderful in this movie? Yes, she is stellar. Mm-hmm. I think uh, by far and away her best performance. Probably, I love my cousin Vinny, but this is by far and away her. And this is an Academy Award winning actress we're talking about here for my cousin Vinny. Yeah, but this is much more complicated. Oh yeah, yes, she's just great. Again, it's beautiful. It's one of those few movies, though, that is beautifully sad. Yeah, that's a great yeah great way to describe this film. Where you come out of it and you're like, I love that I just spent that time watching it, but I'm so depressed. Oh God, no! This is this is a rough film in that way. Mm. It'd be like it's it's honestly it's something that um that Lars von Trier would make if he wasn't a sick fuck. Oh, because I was watching it, and I'm like, yeah, this feels like like. It could have been a version of melancholia if, again, he wasn't a sick fuck. <laughs> so, you know, it's 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 great in that way. And it's like, you know, it's, it's all my favorite parts of melancholia until the film just gets, you know, like like I want to slip my wrists. Right. But, you know. Uh, yeah. And it has this really gritty quality. I mean, you know, Mickey Rourke actually cut his head at the beginning of oh, that movie, you, you know. I completely believe that, too. Yeah, with the knife. Oh, it's so... Oh, God, it's terrible. By the way, this movie... Is interesting because I know jack shit about professional wrestling. I don't really know anything. I either. don't know anything. It could be my biggest cultural blind spot. I know I know The Rock. I know uh, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, John Cena, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I, yep, all names I've heard. Never seen them actually wrestle. Me neither. I don't think I've ever sat down to watch professional wrestling ever. Never watched the WWE Monday Night Raw. I watched it when I was, like, really little, and then I just started realizing how stupid it was. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just kind of walked away from it. I And here's the thing, too. I know a lot of smart, interesting people that are obsessed with professional wrestling. Yeah. So I don't want to discount it, because I've read a lot of smart things about it and heard people speak very glowingly about the characterization of certain wrestlers and the storylines at play and thematically what wrestling means to the culture at large and i i buy that all i just can't get into it man well that's the thing it's very different i mean it's a lot of like like stage play honestly in a weird way right so if you there's there's a there, there's a crowd who could appreciate that i mean i certainly love plays yeah i mean there's plays feel far more well crafted than something like uh professional wrestling yeah like professional wrestling is like the soap operas of plays right exactly yeah yeah right um Sure, because it's catering to the lowest common denominator. <laughs> yeah. Just anyway. rabid masculinity. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's just pretty much. throwing cans of shit at people in an arena and yeah. beating up referees and jumping <laughs> off of the high wire, or whatever you call it, the top, the top, uh, what do you call that? I don't even know. The, the fucking the rope. The rope. The rope. Top yeah. of the rope. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just playing on little boy fantasies. <laughs> I just want to see, like, like a, a shot of what Jake LaMotta was doing in the ring, and then you put it right next to this guy doing a ram jam. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is that what we've digressed to? <laughs> Can't see me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just think, I don't want to be an elitist and a snob about this. I just never got that. I just wanted, I think, a little more nuance. Even at a young age, I think, I thought it was kind of stupid. But you'd be, uh, I guess, surprised to know that this movie is very accurate to the life of most wrestlers. Right. And it made me want to learn more about wrestling the first time I saw it. Mm -hmm. You know, it just has that. A lot of that stuff, for example, the hardcore match. Mm, Oh, God. Where... 
the staples. Uh, yeah, they're stapling things into each other, and they're slamming glass into each other's faces, and they're beating each other with sticks. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's something that actually happens. Yeah. That's a real thing in wrestling. Barbed wire for some godforsaken reason. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, but it feels incredibly accurate. It's like, yeah, after you turn 40, this is what a professional wrestler would do. Yeah. They would be hopped up on pain pills. Uh-huh. And they would be doing uh, signings and appearances and taking photos with fans. And they would be doing weird indie wrestling matches in high schools. The the worst scene in this film for me, I mean, I don't know if it's the worst, but it's one of the more powerful scenes is when um, he's at that signing in that room and with all those other like kind of has been wrestlers yeah and he's just looking around and nobody's there aside from like maybe one or two people but that honestly makes it a little worse and then he looks at his friends next to him and they're just sitting there twiddling their thumbs right oh god but he's so kind and genuine to his fans though too he never i mean he has the scene obviously in the grocery store where he says i quit which is a great i Mm. quit I quit and he slices his finger on the meat slicer and <laughs> starts throwing things right. Um, so he has that like outburst, but for the most part, the guy is a buttoned up professional. Like yeah. he in public puts on a real happy face, does his job, yeah. is a performer and a, a respectful performer, I would say, mm-hmm. like a respectable performer, I should say. Um he greets his fans with care and takes yeah. photos and does autographs and everything. Um which is what makes the story even more sad. It's kind of the Robin Williams thing of he, he's living just to please. And so once he's lost that thrill, once he's lost his purpose, there's no reason to keep going anymore. He's not living for himself. Yeah. He's just living for, I guess, the attention or the crowds. And in a way, the film kind of ends reflecting that. Right. Really sad. Which is a sad ending that should be played triumphantly but isn't. In a worse movie, him climbing to the top rope and jumping off in a blaze of glory should be revelatory, but instead it's just depressing. Yeah. And it's an incredible moment for that reason. Because, <sighs> yeah, because it doesn't feel like that. It's just like, it's just like, wow, dude, like you, sh- you, you never should have gotten back in this ring to begin with. Right. It's like, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that, that he was kind of forced to do it, I guess. Right. You just feel so awful for him that he, that he has to do his, his, his iconic thing that he's known for. Right. That's a sad thought. Like, the one thing you're known for, it's sad that you have to go and do that again. Right. The, well, the one thing you're known for that you can no longer do mm-hmm. medically. Like, yeah. it is best for you not to do it anymore, but you do it anyway because he's going to work. I think he even says that several times in the movie. What do you think I'm doing? I'm working. Yeah. I'm on the clock. Just got to go out there, put on a show. That's what I've been put on the earth to do is put on a show. I respected the profession a lot more after watching Me this too. movie. And I, I think that's partially the point. Right. Also, the relationship between him and his daughter, so mm. hard to swallow, man. I know. But feels so real. And the Marissa Tomei thing, again, I'm going to mention it in a bit. Um, just one of the most moving relationships I think I've ever seen on screen. But not for the reasons you would think. No. Just an awesome story uh, about, in a weird way, forbidden love. <laughs> Which is, I, I mean, you wouldn't, I think... In a lesser movie, like a characters like this probably would have gotten together, right? And you you generally think that oh yeah no there's no reason why they shouldn't right because they're on the similar levels right? And the movie's like it's a lot more complicated than that, guys. There's a lot going on. Yeah, it doesn't really work that way. What if she has a kid? Mm-hmm. You know, does she really give a shit about guys like this? Should she give a shit about guys like this? Right. You know, it doesn't matter if she's a stripper. I right. Was like, you yeah, know, it doesn't but, really matter that she's a stripper, yeah. does it? 
No, exactly. that's just sort of another character beat. Yep. Yeah. It's a really, really, really smart film. Yeah. But just it's heartbreaking. So personal and um, an actor showcase yet again. That being said, way to go, Darren Aronofsky. You just added another film to your filmography of movies that no one ever wants to see again. So good for you, buddy. I can watch it again. <laughs> uh, I, I can watch it again. Give me a year. <laughs> I love hanging out with the character. I, yeah. can, I can do it again. Yeah. A uh, couple things. Uh, Randy the Ram Robinson shares characteristics of the two biggest wrestling icons of the 1980s, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. So um, Accurate. There's that. Uh, he is loosely based on those characters. Also, I guess the studio wanted Nick Cage for this movie. Have you ever read that? <laughs> what? Aronofsky always wanted Mickey Rourke. Studio said, no, we want Nick Cage. He won that battle. Nick Cage did not get the part. Yes, he should. What, could you, oh my God! Could you imagine what this movie would have been like? It's just bizarre to me that the studio would have wanted it. I don't get it. It's just very strange. No. Why would you think? It, even though I know Mickey Rourke was not known for deep character studies, but who cares? Though he said, "I think I think you could still call him a better actor, even at that time." Nick Cage is a real choice for this. He would have gone so over the top with oh it; it would have been God. terrible. Ugh. It would have just been a bad movie. Yeah, probably. Very rarely can one actor destroy an entire movie, but if Nick Cage was in The Wrestler, it would have been unwatchable. Yeah, I can agree with that. It would have been just distracting. Yeah. Because this is also like a movie kind of about Mickey Rourke. Uh, yeah, in a way. In, in a way, yeah. It's one of those. Yeah. Okay. It's great. It's great. Love The Wrestler. Me one too. of the best of the year. Yeah. All right. I have been promised some compelling podcast content. <laughs> So I expect some compelling podcast content. <laughs> Here's what I'm confused by. Okay. Um, when we decided that we were going to do 2008, it was settled. The Dark Knight is going to get inducted into the Movie Hall of Fame. So congratulations right now to the Dark Knight. Yeah, it's the Dark Knight. I'm just making that decision without you. Okay. Congratulations. Now, um, you have been saying for weeks how much you love the Dark Knight. Yet, that sentence inevitably is followed by but i have some real issues with it and i can't wait to trash this movie on the podcast <laughs> so i'm kind of confused yeah that's okay you have the floor uh the dark knight here we go um i mean i think it's a great action film i think it's got some superb direction i quite love uh heath ledger i mean makes the movie in, in quite a few scenes. I mean, it's very unforgettable, very iconic. I mean, it's hard not to love some of the Batman shit in it. And the character of Harvey Dent is wonderful. I also love uh, many of the supporting cast, aside from Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, one quick note. Yes. I'm just going to say this once and I won't say it again. Katie Holmes, a better Rachel than Maggie Gyllenhaal. Accurate. Good. Keep going. Uh, that being said, you know, I have some some issues with this film and I'm always it's frustrating because I thoroughly enjoy enjoy my time watching this film every time I see it but I, I on every viewing I'm like yeah no I still have these issues with this movie okay can you please not just make this a 15 minute dissertation on film editing can you please give me something else other than the editing was weird I mean part of the editing to me like this is one of the most frustratingly edited films if that makes any sense. The, the editing in this movie is some of the most frustrating editing I've ever seen because it re really, for me, kills a lot of the emotion that would generally happen in a lot of scenes. 
uh, it also kills uh, just just the the flow of the movie in general. It's just jarring at times, especially the way it jumps from scene to scene without any rhyme or reason. I'm like, whoa, 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 okay, we're here now? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things like that. And the movie moves very quickly, but it's almost like too tightly edited, if that makes any sense. Okay. It feels very much that way, and it undercuts a lot of the, the emotional through line that would have made this movie like like one of my like all-time favorites. Okay. Um, I also find a lot of the movie to be just kind of like flat here and there. I find there a lot of scenes where they're, they're just sitting around talking to be, you know, one note. Give me an example. The, the, for example, I don't find any of the scenes like in, in the, in the, uh, what's the, when Gary Oldman Gordon goes in to see Harvey Dent for the first time, like, yeah, like a lot of a lot of scenes like that, or when Harvey Dent goes to see the mayor, that scene is like you know it's it's okay. But they're short scenes, though. There's that's a, just connective tissue. That's a, not really. I guess for me, but the, there's a lot of connective tissue to get to the next Joker scene. Okay, and that's I think my ultimately my biggest issue with the film is that when the Joker's not in the film, and I rewatched this like like a couple months ago, and I just I was and I was really like examining it to see like what my issues with it were, and I was like. Yeah, you know, it, th- th- for for all this time it takes to get to the Joker, like that 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 meat is just. I mean, it's not that juicy. It's huh. not that it's not that interesting. It's it's sort of it is what it is. It's like it's it it's kind of meant to connect one scene to the next, and it doesn't really do that much for me on on a deep emotional resonant level. Now you're just talking about specifically so. the plot machinations with the Gotham government. Is that really what you're referring to? Because that seems to be... You're not talking about the scenes with Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Do you like the Bruce Wayne scenes? It's not my favorite uh, Bruce Wayne in in Christopher Nolan's Batman. I mean, I still think my my favorite Batman in Bruce Wayne is Batman Begins. Uh Uh-huh. And it gets progressively worse as it goes along. I think he's fine in this. Okay. He does does his job well enough. The stuff with Alfred is good, though, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, I agree. And the uh, but this is another issue. Um, I, I will actually agree. A lot of the the gover- government procedures that go go on in this movie, I just I just don't care about. Yeah, and there is a lot of it. I, I do remember seeing because I saw this in two thousand eight when it came out in the theater, and I was what thirteen years old. Yeah, and I do remember sort of glossing over that stuff in my head. I wasn't exactly sure what was happening with the Joker and his connection to the mob and the domestic terrorism. That stuff was sort of lost on me, and I was just sort of floored by the Joker sequences. Yeah, so I. I guess I understand that. I'm viewing that from the lens of a 13-year-old kid. Um, it just wasn't the most interesting stuff to me. And I think to the to this day, yes, the more rewatchable scenes obviously are the ones with Heath Ledger. Yes. Because it's an all-time great performance. But keep going. Uh, the, the, and I guess the final issue that I, I have with, with the movie more than anything. I mean, you, you could call some scenes a little like, like convoluted. Not convoluted, but just like so complicated where it's like how could the joker pull this off like that kind of but i don't really care it's a it's a comic book movie right um there are long youtube videos talking about the joker's plan and how everything had to go right and how oh and you yeah obviously and it's like I, guys i get it it's, it's easy it's, to forget this is a comic book movie though. yeah i know but i mean when you think about it, it's like yeah you could probably pick it apart but that you're missing the point right um the fact that i'm not criticizing that and everybody else does you know that's sure i'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself okay <laughs> the the Christopher Nolan is preachy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't shut up. And there's a lot of scenes in this movie of what do I do about this? Help me. And he's like, 
this is what you should do, my, my man, my son, whatever. You should go and you should be this righteous and for the better of mankind and Gotham and blah, 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 blah. And ugh, there's just – there are a lot of moments where it's just like I don't care, man. I don't give a shit about your, your monologue here. It's just – it's it's very – I don't know. There's there's a pandering quality to it to, at times. It's not all bad, but it's it's a Christopher Nolanism that I just I, – I, I never quite enjoy it when I see it and it's really no different here. Like like, endure, Master Wayne, endure. They'll hate you for it, but that's the spirit of bat. I'm like, fine, I get it. <laughs> I don't agree. <sighs> I, don't. I don't agree. I am sensitive to that in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. I just think the dialogue here is really good. And so I'll stomach the preachiness if you tell it in a compelling way. Yeah. And that's what this was. I mean, uh, some men just want to watch the world burn. That's great. Come on, man. Because it's scary, though. But... But like I, the the scene where he where he's like uh, it, the, like after Rachel dies, it just feels like the exact same monologue. And I think that's the other thing is that a lot of those those discussions that Alfred has with him just feel like the same thing. It's my same problem with uh, the Steve Jobs movie. Uh huh. Well, like, that's a that's Sorkin. <laughs> but again, it's it's really really compelling at first. But literally every scene is the exact same scene played again and again and again and again. And not to say that that's ex- the exact same. Uh, issue here but i i don't know after seeing it enough i I really start to notice it and it can be a little distracting and those monologues have i mean less impact than they ever did Hmm. um i don't i don't agree that's okay I, I i just don't agree i think the one thing that you can say about this movie look i i'll buy your criticisms on a technical level um it's important to note this is a big budget action movie and the fact that it is not quite heat, you know, it feels like heat, but it's not quite heat, shouldn't be a detriment. Like, the fact that we got a superhero movie this good is a credit to Nolan here. So, like, we can pick apart the editing style. We can pick apart some of the emotional moments that it hangs on or doesn't hang on. We can pick apart how on the nose some of the imagery is. But this is, like, the best version of this material we've ever seen, mm-hmm. bar none. And so I am grading on a curve. I also think the dialogue is incredibly quotable, incredibly moving. The stuff with Alfred and, and Bruce is awesome. Uh, you, you either die a hero or you live long enough mm. to become the villain. Great line. Awesome line. And sure, it's on the nose, but it's a Batman movie, man. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate the fact, I, I applaud the fact that Nolan decided to swing for the fences and make a movie that's that reflective and, and that big of ambition and... I guess you might call it preachy, but I would call it moving. Yeah. Well, he cares though. Like as much as I like right. want to hate uh, Christopher Nolan at times, even in interviews, it's like fuck. Like this guy is is really genuine. Seriously sincere. Yeah. Yeah. It's he's he's a completely genuine. He's kind of a lovable guy, and you can really see that in his films where he's. It, it just feels like he's just trying to do the right thing. It's just that uh, he. I don't know. His mind's not always in the right place for for me, and he doesn't always know that. Yeah. Um, but the the thing about this movie is that I mean it's got like ten of the most memorable sequences in film. Yeah. Period. No, it's Heat with Batman. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Like the scene in the middle, the chase through the garage, mm-hmm. um, the Joker standing in the middle of the road, ready ready to get run over. The hospital, the classic. Yeah. Hospital sequence. The hospital scene. We can all give or take the fairy stuff. I'm sure with the criminals and the and the good guys and the prisoners' yes. dilemma with the explosives. Mm-hmm. I like, like it. Yeah, I, I mean, not my favorite part. Uh, the movie has some third act problems for sure. But 
Yeah, I mean, the opening scene? What yeah. a gauntlet drop that was the first oh, time I saw oh it. Oh, my God. It's awesome. Wow. So awesome. I mean, you watch that and you're like, oh, this is the type of movie I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to Batman. <laughs> it's like, turns out, nah, man, we're going to watch a, a, a gangster epic. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch a, a crime film. It's thriller. a crime film, yeah. It's like that actually has kind of the, the explores crime films the way they should be explored, like the inner workings and the complexities. And there's a lot going on. Yeah. And it is interesting. It is very interesting. I mean, oh, my God, the, the, the scene where they go to China, though. I love that scene. Oh, yeah. I excellent stuff. Love that scene. Yeah, where Morgan Freeman leaves the phone. and it's so good. Yeah. That Morgan Freeman device I also find kind of amusing. What? The, the sonic. Yeah, the sonic thing being able to spy on everyone. It's like pre-NSA more like a, It's like, you know, he's supposed to be more like a bat. So they just, they went for it, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It's not bad, though. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah, it's got some silly stuff, but it's a comic book movie. Yeah, it's like, again, the I mean... It takes itself very seriously, though. Yes. That's the one thing I will say. I, I'm I'm still in the camp where I think the best balance they ever struck was Logan. I, I The more I come you to... You think the, Logan's a better superhero movie, yeah, honestly. Yeah. I'm not with you. I really, I really, really do. I'm just not with you. This movie's special. This movie's something more. At Logan's I, excellent. I feel that way about Logan, though. This movie feels like more than Logan. Mm, Logan feels... A little more disposable, if I'm being honest. I disagree with that. Yeah. Like, I saw this movie... Again, I was 13. It's, it was the age. Is it because it's shot on film, Nico? No. <laughs> Any great movie that I would have seen in 2008 would have changed my life, but I know my life would have been totally different if I didn't see The Dark Knight. I just know it. I mean, I just know my appreciation of film would have been altered forever. It's, it's a life-changing thing. And it's a very important film, too. But I will also say, to add to maybe my case a little bit, is that I don't necessarily think it changed Hollywood for the better. Oh, okay, maybe not. Because this is where the dark, gritty reboot, like, really becomes popular. I mean, like, really popular. And then everything needs to be a dark, gritty reboot. And that doesn't always work. Sure. Well, um, we're not talking about Iron Man today because we already let Iron Man in to the Movie Hall of Fame during the Marvel podcast. Um, But it's a really interesting case study because two incredibly important superhero movies came out in the same summer, a month apart from one another. Yep. And Iron Man goes on to create the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the Dark Knight goes on to create whatever the hell DC is doing. And it's kind of funny, had you told me in 2008, what's the future of Hollywood? You know, do you want to see more Christopher Nolan Dark Knight movies, or do you want to see more Marvel movies? If you told me the audience was going to fall on the side of Iron Man, I would have been shocked. I know. But turns out that is the smarter approach. Uh You know, Hollywood goes uh, goes for joy. More often than it does for dourness. I mean, th- this movie went on to try to make super Superman dark. Yeah. It created Man of Steel. Not great. No, not not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Man of Steel? Yeah. And Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. David Goyer wrote both movies, didn't he? Can we do a why is this a thing on Batman v Superman? Sure. It's it it is it definitely is <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, <laughs> a piece of shit. Anytime you want. Um, couple notes about the legacy of this movie. I already talked about my relationship. I yes. saw this thing with my parents. I first saw it at a drive-in, which we discussed in a yeah we earlier some, podcast. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I went great- to Starbucks afterwards, and I was floored. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I want to reiterate, guys. Like, it's a great movie. It's a. Re- I really, really love this film. I mean, again, for for just the the incredible set pieces and some awesome performances and just some of the most memorable things I've seen in a movie. It's just I'm not, you know, it's not perfect. 
of course, one best supporting actor, Heath Ledger, posthumously took home that award, obviously. Uh, best sound editing at the Oscars also was nominated for cinematography, film editing, art direction, makeup, sound mixing, and visual effects. Mm-hmm. Sure, you're not happy about some of those nominations. Mm. Um, it was the movie that spawned the 10 Oscar nominees in the Best Picture category thing. Yeah, that's right. Because they were it, so fed up, right? Yeah, it was snubbed of a Best Picture nomination. Slumdog Millionaire wins. Uh, and we were all like, yo, we got to get The Dark Knight. If a movie like The Dark Knight comes out, there's no way we can't nominate it for Best Picture. So they expand it to 10 nominees, and now we have the somewhere between 5 and 10 rule. It's like if Mad Max Fury Road can be nominated for right. best, best Picture, a movie like that, how the hell are you not going <laughs> to... I know, that's the thing. Like, in retrospect, the Oscars must be, like, really pinching themselves. Like, fuck, what did we do? It's one of the biggest snubs ever. It yeah. really is. But it's funny... It was immediately evident. It's yeah. like sometimes a movie is snubbed by the Oscars and it takes a few years. Mm-hmm. And then we reflect and we say, oh, actually, that was the best movie of the year. This was immediate. Oh, Everyone yeah. was obsessed with The Dark Knight. It was the most popular movie of that year. Critics love it. Audience love it. Everybody knew this was going to be something special. It was going to change the game. And still, the Oscars are like, no, mm-mm. we ain't doing it. We're going to nominate this fucking movie about a kid on who wants to be a millionaire well what are your feelings on slub dog millionaire we'll talk in a second okay we'll get there uh because we have to do our little oscar thing okay um heath ledger incredible great no question one of the best villains ever important to note though without aaron eckhart and a harvey dent this movie just doesn't have any forward thrust whatsoever mm-hmm. and so it's really important to note that because there's not a lot of transformation on the part of bruce wayne not a lot of transformation in like, you know, Commissioner Gordon or Alfred or Rachel or anything. There's a, there's a little bit, but n- not like this guy. Yeah. Um, if you don't have Harvey Dent, you don't have a movie. You just have like a madman killing gangsters across Gotham. It's one of the most, uh, God, un- unappreciated characters in a movie, in my opinion. Because I think he's, in a lot of ways, he's almost better than uh, uh, Heath Ledger. Well, the character certainly more fully realized. Yes. I don't think it's a better performance. But no, yeah. but yeah, like you just said, the character is... It's re- important in the movie. It, it, yeah. it is the central conflict of the film. Yeah. Remarkable. By the way, this will surprise you. So, growing up, I watched the Batman movies, the original ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen the Val Kilmer Batman Forever. Yeah. Wasn't a huge fan of it, but I remember Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face. <laughs> okay. I went into Dark Knight yeah. not remembering... <laughs> Two-Face was named Harvey Dent. And not re- not knowing that ah. Two-Face was going to be portrayed in The Dark Knight. So it was one of the great aha moments that I'll never be able to replicate again because I read everything about every movie that ever comes mm. out. But I actually didn't know Two-Face was going to be in this movie. I didn't know it either. Wow. We both went into it like that. Yep. That's never going to happen to us again. Mm-hmm. Ever. 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 So when I heard the character's Harvey Dent, oh, he's just a DA. I didn't know where it was going. Yep. So when they burned off half his face, it's just incredible. It's this ignorance uh, that I'll never be able to bring into a movie, especially a comic book movie. So not knowing Two-Face was going to be in this, an amazing reveal. Oh, and the other thing that's just so great about it is that it doesn't rely on like like comic book knowledge. Right. It is just its own interesting story. It doesn't be like, it, it doesn't set up like like, 
it, I guess the best way to describe it is that you don't get the sense that it's like pandering to the audience, like especially with like the Two Face logic, where it's like, oh yeah, like like dark imagery of him in his room or something, you know, playing with a coin or something like that. You know, uh, it's it's never like that. It's just like he's just a regular guy. He could be anybody, and then it turns out, oh my god, he, this is his transformation into this horrible madman. Right. It's great. It's a Michael Mann movie, yeah, but it's got Batman in it. And so that's the Dark Knight, and it's really important to me. And obviously, it's going to be the inductee. There could be no other yep. choice. So there it is. It's the Dark Knight. Yeah, I agree. I have to agree. <laughs> Come off your high horse, will you? It's no, it's a great. Go movie. home and watch Hunger. Uh, no, Go on a hunger strike. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we had this idea to sort of spice up the ending of this podcast because you mentioned last week correcting the oscars mistakes yes and it's something that we talk about a lot on this show it's meant to be a revision on the decisions that the oscar made and still to this day we have not picked a movie for induction into the movie hall of fame that won best picture at the oscars (laughs) that says something it's pretty nuts um so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna go through some of the main categories and we're gonna give our choices for just the big four Picture, director, actor, actress. Mm-hmm. And this can be from any movie. Um, and we'll each give our decisions and say a quick word about it. So um, here we go. Do you want to go first? Sure. All right. Let's start with best actress. Okay. Yeah. Because I have no idea. Here were your nominees. Meryl Streep for Doubt. Mer- Melissa Leo for Frozen River. Angelina Jolie for Changeling. And Anne Hathaway for Rachel getting married, your winner, Kate Winslet for The Reader, a movie I have not seen. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, so I can't really say. I right. don't I don't know. What were some of your favorites from that year? Hmm, it wasn't a really stacked uh, actress category is the thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like Marissa Tomei in The Wrestler. Not a lead, though. That's, That's the thing. So. Um, Look, I haven't seen The Reader. I haven't seen Revolutionary Road. I know Kate Winslet was lauded for both of those movies. Yeah. I guess I have to default to their decision. But of all the movies I saw, it's definitely Meryl. I just think it's clear as day you give this one to Meryl. And that feels like it's a cheap pick. But yeah, Mm. Meryl Streep deserves Oscars. (laughs) I think by far and away, it's doubt. By far and away. I mean, you can give it to her. I really... I mean, I would want to see those other movies. I mean... I don't know if it's Meryl, but yeah. All right. I guess by default, I could say Meryl. I don't feel good about it, though. <laughs> Not a lot of comedy. I mean, uh, Vicky, Christina, Barcelona. ScarJo's kind of a supporting in that. Uh, Francis McDormand and Burn After Reading. Maybe. Kind of a lead. Uh, yeah, it's tough. Not a good year for actresses. 2008. Is your stand okay, by the way? It's it's jiggling over here. Let go of it. See what happens. All right. Well, no, there you go. I just have to, it just fell over, so I'm gonna have to like slouch and break my back. Yeah, I heard a lot of jiggling there. All right. Um, best actor, your nominees: Richard Jenkins for The Visitor, Frank Langella for Frost Nixon, Brad Pitt for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler, and Sean Penn for Milk wins the best actor. I don't remember him winning. I found that kind of strange. Yeah, I know. He just kind of... It's just... Yeah, that's true. I don't really think about that either. It's he, a fine performance, but like... Yeah, he just won and no one really gave a shit. I just figured Mickey Rourke won that year. I just assumed yeah. he won. Yeah, because that's... He should have won. Because <laughs> it's by far and away the best performance, right? 
how does I get really frustrated? It's like it's so obvious. It's like Oscars, like when it's like this remarkable, just give it to them. And you don't have to try to be different. It's like it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, that one really confused me. And it's such an Oscar performance, too. Yeah, it's true. Intimate character study, older guy, comeback performance. Yeah. It's his time. It, he's due. Just so weird to me that it was Sean Penn, who's won before, right? Didn't he know. win for Mystic River? Yes, he did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Sean Penn has won Best Actor before. So yeah. it's just kind of weird to me that they gave it to him again. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we both agree, though. Mickey Rourke, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Best Director, your nominees... Stephen Daldry for The Reader, Gus Van Sant for Milk, Ron Howard for Frost Nixon, David Fincher for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and your winner, Danny Boyle for Slumdog Millionaire. This may be a good time to talk about Slumdog Millionaire. What are your thoughts on it? See, I like Slumdog Millionaire. Okay. Make something perfectly clear. I really like Slumdog Millionaire. Huh. I think it's a charming little film with some with some nice performances, and it's... It's got a lot of flair and energy and, and an interesting voice, and I, I quite like the way it's shot. And um, for, for as annoying as it can be at times, uh, the, the, the cinematography is f- fairly interesting. Um, but it's 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 a little sweet, too sweet, as, too as saccharine well, as well. That's something that Danny Boyle has done all of a sudden. I know. I don't know why he went that way because this guy used to be a really transgressive filmmaker. I know, I know. You know, you watch Train Spotting and you think, how the fuck did this guy <laughs> make Slumdog Millionaire? How was he allowed to make Slumdog Millionaire? And he made Yesterday this year too. Yeah, that's true. Isn't it so strange? Yeah. It's kind of it is kind of weird. I mean, he did make uh uh Train Spotting too. That's not exactly light. No, well, it's certainly more light than the original. Sure, but you know, it it has a guy throwing up in a bag, and that's fucking disgusting. You know, <laughs> I guess, man. It's 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 certainly closer to that than fucking Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, and yeah, no, I I do like the film quite a bit. It's a very like watchable film. It's like when you turn it on, it's like okay, yeah, you can casually watch it and enjoy it. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's just I think next to the competition, it's a little strange. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Um, I have to give it to Nolan here. And I think it's very clear that you give it to Nolan. Mm. And this is why it's so frustrating because Nolan feels like one of those guys that has to win an Oscar one of these days. And I just feel like they're going to give it to him for the wrong movie. And that's what's so frustrating. Yeah. You know, it's the most frustrating thing about the Oscars. Just give it to him when he deserves it. True. And that way you don't have to worry about the makeup call later, but they never get it right in the moment. It's Nolan, man. I would give it to Nolan or Fincher. What's your fi- make it make a call? God damn it! Decide one. Mm, I mean, I hate to say it, dude. I might go Fincher. All right, you're wrong. That's fine. That's, nah. a, that's a pointless, disposable movie. Curious case. I don't. I don't think so at all. I think <sighs> it's a better directed movie. <laughs> Best picture. Uh... Your nominees: The Reader, Milk, Frost, Nixon, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And Slumdog Millionaire wins, of course. I mean, I guess you got to give it to The Dark Knight. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, we agree on at least two of those. Yep. A couple other things I just wrote down real quick um, that uh, I definitely would have given best screenplay to In Bruges. Milk wins best original screenplay there. I don't agree with that choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I probably would have given Doubt best adapted screenplay. Um, in a perfect world, obviously... Heath Ledger, the correct choice for best supporting actor. Yeah. Uh, it would have been nice had we given Tom Cruise the Oscar for Tropic Thunder. 
Tom or, Cruise? Yeah, would have been nice. What? In a perfect world, I could see him at least getting a nomination for Tropic Thunder. I know Downey got the nomination there, yeah, which and I, it's kind of an interesting class. Real stacked class. I love the fact that Downey was nominated, though. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's so funny. I like Tom Cruise more, and I think it would have been funny. Oh, God. Yeah. Of course you like Tom Cruise more. That being said, I love Tom Cruise in that movie. Yeah. Michael Shannon, Revolutionary Road, Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt, Downey for Tropic Thunder, Josh Brolin for Milk, and Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. I would have liked to see in that. Uh, Hoffman obviously could have won for doubt. Um, also, would have been nice to see. I know mm. this is impossible. Give Brad Pitt a nomination for Burn After Reading. <laughs> yeah, sure. In a perfect world, he gets love for that performance. I love him in Burn After Reading. Oh, God. Reading. Everybody loves him in that movie. He's just such a goof. Mm. He's great, though. Yeah, I agree. Um, best Supporting Actress. This is where it gets kind of dicey. I, we don't normally we're not going to normally do this, but I just need to point this out. Okay. Uh, Penelope Cruz is totally fine in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Is that what she? Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's totally fine in that. There's no fucking way you can talk me out of Marissa Tomei in this category. No, I'm not going to do that because she should have won. Yeah, it's crazy to me. Yeah, it's really nuts. Yeah, she's excellent. She's so good in that movie, and I feel like the only reason they didn't give it to her is because they gave it to her for my cousin Vinny. True. And they didn't want to go back to back. But she is just captivating in that movie. Mm-hmm. And is one of the most convincing movie strippers I've ever seen. <laughs> She's your top movie stripper. Yeah. Oh, by far. Not Elizabeth Berkley. Also, give Colin Farrell a nomination in Best Actor. Yeah, I was going to. He is. He's actually kind of remarkable. I love him. Even, you know, Brendan Gleeson as Best Supporting. I really love him in that movie. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen it too. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Mm. Moral of the story. The Oscars got it wrong yet again. <laughs> Very wrong. Very, this is one of the most wrong years, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's just wrong on so many levels. Two thousand eight. That's okay though. I mean, they're gonna, they're always going to get it wrong. Is there ever a year where they got it completely right? I've yet to find it. I'd be curious to go back and just explore. Like, let's that this this podcast should just be the podcast of finding the the correct Oscar year <laughs> where the Oscars actually got it. I'll right. I'll tell you when they got it right. Okay, Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. Yeah, they got it right. Yeah, it's pretty true. Hopkins, Foster. Yeah, it's pretty true. Yeah. All right. Science of the Lambs. All right. But it's only like when a movie is so definitively the best of the year that Mm -hmm. they get it right. Sure. You know, you can't hold their, you have to hold their hand through it. You can't just (laughs) leave them to their own devices. (laughs) Yeah, I guess Or else they give Green Book the Oscar, Shape of Water the Oscar, you know? I think Green Book's like one of the worst decisions. So egregious. I mean, my God, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. All right. Let's draft for next week, shall we? Because we have another podcast to record today. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, my God. Look at these nominees. We're doing Jabril's Selection, 1997. It's a good year. Oh, The Lost World came out. Mm. I can't nominate it, but I love The Lost World. Would you like to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, Let's get it out of the way. Lost Highway. There you go, Jabril. See, I really don't feel like that's the right call, but it's all right. It's fine. It's okay. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I think you should wait on that. Listen, if there's room, if we decide that there's room, I'm all right with it. You want me to save it for last? Yeah, I, just play this straight for now. I'll, I'll do my best to play it straight because there are some obvious ones, and I think we should just do that for now. Yeah, there's some, let me go first. This is good, some good ones here. Let me go first. I'll do Boogie Nights right now, and then you can do your thing. All right. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. <laughs> Anaconda came out. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, all right, you said Boogie Nights. Um, here, 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 here. I'll go uh, here, no, here, no. here. I'll go to Jackie Brown. Oh, whoa! Okay, um, Good Will Hunting. Okay. Uh, let's see. <sighs> Good Will Hunting. 
I don't. I am flashing a sheet of paper with all the relevant movies on it. I don't know why you're scrolling through Google. Well, there's some good ones. This here. is all you need. You bastard. I promise you, this is all you need. You, I didn't you, leave anything out. Have you seen The Fifth Element? No. Okay. It is shocking to me you haven't nominated Titanic yet. Okay. Are we about to go? Are we not going to nominate Titanic? Is that where this is going? We don't have to. What? Uh, son of a bitch. Men in Black. You can't do this. <laughs> you can't do this. <laughs> this is so wrong. This is so terribly wrong. I'm putting Titanic on because I, I can't call your bluff. I don't I don't trust that you won't nominate Titanic. <sighs> yeah, all right, go. Okay. So we have Titanic, Boogie Nights, Goodwill Hunt. I nominated the three most obvious. Why does this happen every week? <laughs> Why does this happen every week? There are three movies that had to get on and you won't take the bullet once for me. And then you get to nominate all your stupid sci-fi movies. Why does this happen? I'm sick of this. Because I'm more interested in those other I am movies. sick of you not pulling your weight. Why am I even participating? I just, I just picked the de facto three. Do I ever get to pick one for myself? This right here is exactly how marriage works. This is crazy to me. Uh, there right. are three obvious movies. You didn't pick one of them. N- no. They're too obvious. This is my birthday, man. Today is my birthday. <laughs> you wouldn't take the bullet from me. I cannot believe you. Well, I mean, Jackie Brown's a decent pick. I don't know if I want to nominate L.A. Confidential. Do you not like L.A. Confidential? I like it. I don't know if I like it more than well, Starship. This is the process. It's going to get really ugly next week, by the way. I honestly, Just know. Ugh. Damn it. Because here's the thing. I don't like it more than Lost Highway, and I don't like it more than Starship Troopers. No, you can't, dude. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You can't, though. Uh, we spent an hour and a half talking about Starship no, Troopers on another podcast. That's tough, man. All right. Um, There's no reason to talk about it for 15 minutes again. <laughs> An abbreviated version of a conversation we already had. That's not... No. Can't do it. Honorable mention to Starship Troopers, but no, we can't. As good as it gets, it's pretty good. Oh, Jesus Christ. Men in Bla- so I went Men in Black, Jackie Brown, and oh boy. Quit boring the listener. We got to go. We're in an hour 50. Lost Highway. All right. This is the process. and We've trusted it for a reason. That's okay. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. No as good as it gets. No LLA Confidential. All right. Nah. Gonna have to talk about Men in Black. Okay. What? You don't, you have an issue with Men in Black? Today's my birthday, Adam. You have an issue with Men in Black? Today's my birthday. I don't care if it's your birthday. Wow. I cannot believe we didn't nominate L.A. Confidential. I like L.A. Confidential, though. All right. This is a terrible podcast. <laughs> I'm ashamed for what they do. I'm ashamed to put my name on this. The problem here is that I am not exactly like you. <laughs> if I was exactly like you, Nico, then... Those films probably would have gotten on. Let me be very clear. Yes. It's not about me versus you. It is about you abusing this system (laughs) to your own liking and relying on me 
to nominate the most obvious movies because I care about the sanctity of this process. No, I'm just That's po- what it is. I'm I'm nominating the films that I'm more interested in. You are I'm the, not You are the senator who takes money from the donors. <laughs> Right from the special interest groups, <laughs> okay, and votes down party lines, and I'm the guy elected, no donors, small donations only, in it for the for the people, for the process. No politician is in it for the people. I'm just trying to do right by this show, <laughs> and you forced me to nominate the three most obvious fucking movies that we're gonna have to get on, no matter how many ways you shake it. Yes, of course. And you just chose whatever you want. When no. are you going to take one of these bullets? Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I feel like I just picked the movies that, you know, I, I feel like talking about. I know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, the ones that... But there's no way we can do this podcast without talking about Titanic. There's no way. We just can't do it. I don't want to talk about Titanic. But we... Ha- we can't call ourselves the Movie Hall of Fame and not talk about one of the most important movies ever made. We just can't. But it's not going to get in. Doesn't matter, dude. We can't not nominate <laughs> Titanic. I think if I if there was contention on whether or not it was going to get in, because it, it ain't getting in, people. But uh, it, I think if it's a case of okay, they're they're important films, and there's a there's a debate to be had on whether or not it should get in, then you know maybe. But I don't care about. We Titanic cannot have a in. podcast called the Movie Hall of Fame and talk about Men in Black over Titanic. I will not accept that. Can we talk about Men in Black over L.A. Confidential? I guess we have to, because Dem's the rules. <laughs> Stupid, but Dem's the, also as good as it gets is a great film. We'll talk next yes. week. This is not over. Um, <laughs> and by the way, your hunger decision will not go unreta- unretaliated. What, are you going to try to get back? Will at- not go unretaliated. Are you going to try to get back at me now? Mark my words, Adam Hall. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, I need a vacation. Luckily, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. Good, good. Uh, Love you so very, very much. Check out the website, tmt.media or toomanythoughtsmedia.com. That's where you can find all of our podcasts, including Why Is This a Thing that Adam and I do together with Nick Evangelista. We're recording our review of Anaconda right after this one. Anaconda? Oh, I'm sorry, not Anaconda, Piranha. We'll get there. Jesus, slow down. Yeah, (laughs) don't want to get too ahead of myself. (laughs) We'll see you guys. Until next time. I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger.